0: Is up front on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. As Rwandans mark the 29th anniversary of the genocide against the Tutsis, we talk to a survivor about the power of forgiveness. For me,
1: I was hacked with my shitty. I still have a, a scar in my uh, in my head. So I deal with it every single day. But anytime you know, I I, I comb my hair, anytime I take a shower, anytime I do anything, it just it was it, it's always a reminder. But mm. like back in the days used to be it was just it was a trigger it was not even just a reminder it was a trigger of anger bitterness and revenge and I, I realized i was just killing myself
0: that is kizito kalima is the founder and director for the peace center for forgiveness and reconciliation in indiana kizito is also the author of a memoir titled my forgiveness my justice world-famous Malian singer Baseku Kuyate and his Ngoni Ba band was in our studios here at the Voice of America. The family band performed on VOA's Music Time in Africa, hosted by Heather Maxwell.
2: Anyone who knows, uh, who, who is from the Monday world or who knows Monday music, if you hear the sound of a chora, an ngoni, or a balafon, you know it's a griot.
0: Heather will join us to chat about Baseku Kuyate and his music But first, as always, let's hear from you, our listeners. And today's question of the week is about mental health. How does your community deal with issues related to mental health?
3: Yes, there is a stigma towards mental healthy people in our community eh? because a lot of people feel like when someone is mentally uh, challenged, that person might might be bringing disturbances in the community so they tend to be isolating him or her they tend maybe not to be engaging them into anything else that's happening in the community because they feel like they can't provide or they're useless the stigma is there because people are scared or they're afraid to get closer to them because they're afraid of being attacked I think there is um, stigma towards um, mental health in our community. A mental stigma is almost in each community, more especially in here in Africa, because I think we've been brainwashed by our fathers that uh, somebody who is mentally ill is regarded as somebody who is cursed. So obviously we, would want, we wouldn't want to associate with that person. But uh, what is required is for maybe the community, government, all stakeholders involved, they should do some sensitization campaign, awareness to uh, sensitize people that, Mental illness is just like any disease that people have, like malaria and the like. I think uh, the community or everyone else wouldn't want to be associated with someone who is mentally not okay who is, because they can't contribute anything to the society. They think it's a bore. They think it's a waste of time. So, yes, that is difficult.
0: Many thanks to all of you for sending in your opinions. This is Upfront on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. Earlier this month, Rwandans began a period of national mourning and remembrance known as kwibuka. This year marks 29 years since the genocide against the Tutsis in which at least a million people were killed in a period of 100 days between April 7th to July 4th, 1994. Equivocal events are held in the country and around the world to serve as a remembrance for the lives lost and a reminder to the world to be vigilant about preventing future atrocities. And for thousands of survivors of the genocide against the Tutsi, coping with the loss of their family members is a constant struggle to move past the atrocities and to keep their memories alive. And for my next guest, it involved forgiving the killers that took the lives of his loved ones. Kizito Kalima survived the genocide by hiding in the swamps in the suburbs of Rwanda's capital Kigali. He moved to Indiana in the U.S., where he founded the Peace Center for Forgiveness and Reconciliation. Kizito is the author of a memoir titled, My Forgiveness, My Justice. And he tells me that he has moved on from just being a genocide survivor to an educator that teaches the next generation of young leaders to be vigilant and to act to stop the potential of a future genocide being carried out in any part of the world. Kizito, thank you so much for joining us here on Upfront. Um, let me start off uh, by asking you to explain, uh, to us, what Kibuka means for the collective and for you personally.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Jackson. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Kibuka, uh, in our, know, you know, as a genocide a survivor, uh, means you know, honoring or giving respect to those who perished, those who died during the genocide in 1994, the genocide against Tutsis, and um, you know, bring the memories, making sure that we honor them, or we respect them. That is that's our 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 main goal. So, as uh, personally as a genocide survivor, uh, to me, it just means that I, I need to, you know, when I remember, it just. Uh, it, Pretty much keeps me alert, making sure that this thing does won't, won't happen in my lifetime, and uh, pretty much making sure that I, I, I know, understand well that I, you know why and when it happens, and explaining to other people to make sure that I, we can prevent the future uh, massacres or atrocities or other genocides.
0: Tell us about your personal story, a story that in many ways is similar to thousands of of young people. Uh, who lost their loved ones during the genocide against the Tutsi?
1: Yeah, so I'm, you know, like everybody else, you know, I was a teenager, I was a young boy in uh, during the genocide, and uh, you know, Easter break happens. You know, the president of Rwanda that time, you know, uh, was assassinated. Uh, his airplane was shot, and uh, you know, our house was attacked. You know, I mean our family w- uh, was uh, was attacked. The house was destroyed, and um, and of course, parents, you know, uh, lost their lives. And uh, I was the lucky ones actually, because I was, you know, I, I escaped, but I was caught, I was you know, shot at. I was hacked to the Mercedes, and um, I ended up spending many, 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 many months, I mean, uh, many days in the swamps, and until I was rescued, well, you know, um, by the Arabia, the uh, Rwanda Patriotic Army at that time, and of course, you know, as a teenager, I had to face life on my own. I had to be in the group homes, foster family, refugee camps, orphanage, and uh, luckily, I ended up here through basketball scholarship back in 1998. And um, so, but I had to, you know, I went to high school here, college here, and uh, you know, just you know, trying to figure out life. But uh, the consequences was, you know, I suffered a lot of mental mental health issues. You know, I was diagnosed with PTSD. Post traumatic stress disorder, and uh, that took a toll on me because I had to figure out how to live life, uh, how to live with the people, and uh, of course, you know, constantly living with this, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, paranoia, anger. That is not something that I, you know, I wish somebody, uh, I wish, on, you know, uh, on someone else. But uh you know that's a part of our our story as a general survivor that's something I live with, and that's and that's something most people live with but mm-hmm. uh we try to manage we try to manage and you know and uh work forward to make sure that you know uh we can take care of our families and of course you can live at at least decent
0: life right and uh, this is the twenty ninth Uh, Does the pain of losing your loved ones get better with time?
1: I would say, you know, (laughs) it doesn't doesn't get better, but it's manageable. It's Mm. easy to manage now. You know, I would say you can manage, you know, uh, it's not at the same level as as it was, you know, 10 years ago or, you know, even, you know, 15 years ago. But right now, I can remember my mom being taken away from me. And, uh, you know, it hurts. It's painful. But at the same time, I can say I can just. Figure out how to deal with that pain. But uh, you know, I, if I say 15 years ago, I could not even mention how my mom was taken, killed in a dump, mass grave. It was I could not even mention it. So, but uh, as time goes by, you know, things get, you know, as, I, as you say, you mentioned it gets a little bit better. It, it's it's more manageable. I would say.
0: right. And you you talk a lot about forgiveness. Uh, this is a concept that you explore in your book. Well, why is it mm. important for you to forgive the people that took your loved ones?
1: So, I mean, first of all, forgiveness, it took me a while to get to the point where I can let it go. So forgiveness to me, it's a way of accepting what happened to me. And of course, uh, making sure that I, I don't let people control my emotions because, you know, forgiveness is for me first before anybody else, because I could not figure it out how am I going to. Deal with the people who killed my family, who almost killed me, who you know, who abused my entire, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, clan or you know, ethnic. So, but I decided to let it go so I can live. I can live just normal life. I can have at least inner peace. That was the you know, that was the the first thing I did because I you know there was no justice enough for you know what happened. You know, so my book I called my name. My book is uh, is is, uh, is called. Uh, my forgiveness, my justice. I was looking for justice, you know. And uh, I'm a criminal justice major. I worked in criminal justice for many years, but I could not find a justice enough for what happened to me. So mm-hmm. I decided to let it go, so I can live normal life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I forget what happened. It doesn't mean I should be friends. I should be close to these people who did what they did to us. But uh, most, uh, the most important thing is that I can live. You know, worry-free. I don't have to think about them every single day because we we live with physical scars. For me, I was hacked with machete. I still have a a scar in my uh, in my head, so I deal with every single day. But anytime you know, I I I comb my hair, anytime I take a shower, anytime I do anything, it just it was it's always a reminder. Mm -hmm. But back in the days, used to be. It was just, it was a trigger. It was not even just a mind. It was a trigger of anger, bitterness, and revenge. And I realized I was just killing myself. So I decided to let it go so I can, you know, at least have inner peace and just live, just live a normal life mm-hmm.
0: if I could. And, and how do you keep the memories alive? Aside from Kibuka? I know... It is almost 30 years since the genocide against the Tutsi. We have these events each year. Uh, But for you as a person who went through this, um, who has the physical scars each day, how do you keep these memories alive without them disrupting your life? And are you worried as a global community that future generations uh, might not be able to understand fully the gravity of what happened in Rwanda in 1994? So, uh,
1: personally, the way I deal with it, actually, I just, that's what I do for a living. I, I, since since 2015, I've opened up a center. It's called the Peace Center for Forgiveness and Reconciliation. It's based in Indianapolis, Indiana. And, uh, it's you know, we open, like, a, a regular business Monday to Friday, actually Monday to Saturday sometimes, and uh, we teach the cause, and consequence of a genocide. We have a miniature, I will say, a, a small museum. Uh, you know, we explain the whole world, and I do a lot of public speaking. I wrote books, of course. I wrote, I wrote two books, you know, My Forgiveness, My Justice, another one called uh, Intervention Divine. So all those, that's how I keep the memoir alive, and that's how, to me, has it now become you know, it's not—it's just—it's not just a genocide it just happened to me. It has become uh, something that I need to share with the with the world. So I teach about the genocide, the cause, the consequence of a genocide, and I don't need to. There's no research. I, I need to look because I'm the I'm the research. I was there. I know exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And of course, I have a family who went through what I went through. So I'm the resource of what happened. So I do this. On every single day, I do. You know, like, you know. We mentioned yesterday. I was the the one, the, the ones, uh, the one, uh, one middle uh, uh, high school here in Indianapolis. I travel all over the world, sharing my story, telling what happened to us. And of course, you know, people come to the offices mm-hmm. right now. I'm an educator. I'm a genocide educator, more than a, uh, more than a genocide. A victim or survivor.
0: And you want so, your story to be a constant reminder and a, a lesson to people around the world about what happened in Rwanda, but also the the possibility of this happening and hoping that this doesn't happen uh, anywhere in the world again.
1: Definitely. That, that, that's, that's, that's the main purpose. So we make sure that the youth, the young people, know exactly, you know, the magnitude. It killed a lot of people. You know, mm-hmm. when you're talking about 1.2 million uh, you know, in hundred days, and if you do the math, it's like eight people per minute. So that's a lot of people to die. And if we continue, if it does happen, nobody and no one shows up and uh, intervene. Just you know, we can we can wipe out the whole in the entire world. So mm. I, I, I always remind the kids, the young ones, when I go to school, to universities, to institutions, to churches. You know, I always it, it, let them know this thing happened. Recently, it's not that far, it's 29 years ago, and it can happen some, uh, somewhere else. And it's always, it, it's, there's something happening somewhere else. But mm. they need to know exactly how worse or how bad it can get. And I always tell them that, listen, you are the future leaders of this country or this, this one. Don't let this happen. And if this happens, intervene. You don't have to wait for three months. In our, in our genocide lasts for at least 100 days. Within hundred days, someone somewhere could have, you know, intervened, and the people tried, but because of, you know, how, you know, uninformed or how unwilling they were, mm. you know, nothing happened. In and the politics, we... of course. Exactly. So mm. uh, our goal, my goal, our goal with the, you know, uh, as a as a center, as a peace center, is to make sure that uh, people learn what happened and and of course know the consequences of not intervening so we want them to intervene when when uh, something like this happens
0: that was kizito kalima he's the founder and director of the peace center for forgiveness and reconciliation in indiana kizito is also the author of a memoir titled my forgiveness my justice i reached him via phone in indiana is up front on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vongani. Now, it has been said that Malian music maestro Baseku Kuyate can bend musical notes like light rays. Baseku, who plays the Ngoni, is part of the world-famous Kuyate family of griots that traced their roots to the founding of Mali in the 13th century. And this week, Baseku, together with his Ngoni bar band, performed a live set on VOS music program, Music Time in Africa hosted by Heather Maxwell. Heather, an accomplished musician in her own rights, has extensive knowledge of West African music, especially traditional Monday music. And she joins me in studio to talk about her interview with Baseku and explain to us some of the instruments that are unique to the Griots. Yesterday, you had a special guest. Yeah. And I was very privileged to have, as I said on my Instagram, a front row seat uh, to a beautiful performance by a world-renowned griot uh, performer, singer, songwriter, uh, Baseku Kuyate. Uh, for those who don't know who Baseku Kuyate, can you bring our listeners up to speed who this man is and his band?
2: Yes, sure. Thanks for having me on the show, Jackson. Hello, everybody. So, a Baseku Kuyate is a Malian griot. Uh, now, griot... Is also called Jelly. It's called other things in different languages. It is um, a casted group of professionals all throughout the Mande uh, region in West Africa, which includes Mali, Guinea, um, parts of Senegal, uh, the Gambia, uh, parts of Burkina Faso, parts of. I- Cote d'Ivoire, so a huge area, mm. and they are... What is their role in society? Okay, what their role is, is they are storytellers, they're singers, musicians, and oral historians, mm. and they train to excel as orators, as poets, lyricists, and music. And
0: now, can anybody become a griot? Is this something that you can train, go to school for, and become a griot?
2: Absolutely not. So you have to be born into one of the few griot families that come from a long line of descendants dating back to the 13th century.
0: Wow. That's a long time. It's a
2: long time. And so um, there are about six families. There's the Cuyates. Basecook is one of them. They're actually considered, according to one historian who writes about Monday music, Eric Cherry, they're considered the most pure line. For various reasons, the, I won't get cuyate into family. the Kuyate family. Right. So,
0: they're, I guess the most popular. Well, of not, their no, not, not no, not not necessarily. Yeah. No,
2: there's also the Sisocos. There's the Jabates. There's there's a lot of different ones. Um, I think six right. families, and you are born into that family. Now, you and may you not,
0: carry on the tradition. Yes, they teach you from a young age how exactly. to sing, how to play the instrument. What kind of instruments do they play?
2: They play. Grio instruments. So there is the Kora, which is the twenty one string harp lute. There is the Ngoni, which is what Basiku's band is based of. Uh, Ngoni is a four to five, sometimes six string instrument. it's a it's a lute. Mm-hmm. And um, you play it like a guitar. And um, so that's
0: handmade wooden with strings on it. Yes,
2: yes, and you can see this similar type of instrument all around West Africa and North Africa, Mm -hmm. actually. Um, But that instrument is only played by griots, as is the kora, the twenty-one string harp that has this majestic sound that's just incredibly beautiful. Do they
0: sound different? Very different. Even though both of them are
2: string instruments, yeah. they sound different. Totally. They're tuned differently, mm. everything. There's also the third primary instrument of griots is the balafon or the xylophone. Mm. And that is also a griot instrument. Now there are other kinds of xylophones. That aren't griot, but they don't sound the same. They have a whole different tuning structure, several different keys and stuff like that. So, anyone who knows, uh, who who is from the Mandé world or who knows Mandé music, if you hear the sound of a kora, an ngoni, or a balafon. You know, it's a griot.
0: Wow! Yeah, that's amazing.
2: Mm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Which which made it even extra special that we were watching uh, this legendary person who carries with him hundreds or thousands of years of of history, of knowledge, of music uh, with his family. Actually, so he doesn't play by himself; he plays with his family, which is extra special. So, do do griots? You tend to play with their families in the this small nuclear unit.
2: Not. Not necessarily, no. Um, but they they usually intermarry. So griots marry other griots in general. And also, I should say that when you're born into a griot family, you you aren't necessarily going to become a griot uh, performer. Mm-hmm. You might just be a businessman. It's it's only certain people who are usually whose father or mother have been a griot performing mm-hmm. some instrument. Then you generally take that on. But you, beca- I,
0: you start off as an apprentice. Oh yes, that's how you learn. Which we saw so the so the kids, uh, the children of uh, Baseku's uh, kids yes. were playing. One of them was playing like a, a bass guitar. Uh,
2: well, it's a bass Goni.
0: A bass yeah. Oh Wow! <laughs> Again, I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was Thank the bass. I-. So yeah. that that
2: ensemble that you hear, and I'm sure you're playing, and we'll play Absolutely. some of the music. Yes. So you hear the bass. That's the bass Goni, Then the lead instrument, which is Basse is the regular Ngoni, mm. and he actually adapts it and puts like a, fla- uh, uh, you know, electronic, uh what do you call that, like a sound box yeah. on it, and makes it electric, and he go wow, 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 yes. wow, wow, and all he this. He makes it speak. Yeah, he <laughs> does a lot of unusual <laughs> things with it, but then there's also the calabash, that's overturned, that's all of the drums that you hear, mm. it's a calabash player, and then you have the percussion player. Um, and he plays a little talking drum, but he doesn't play it much. He just bangs it every once in a while when you yes. Hear it, boom.
0: Yes, I saw that. Yeah, it was And it's little... so hard to even actually catch him bang the <laughs> I know. drum. It's like his hand just like went and I know. smacked it and yes. boom.
2: yep. And wow. then and then his wife is the singer. And so they are married. Ami. 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 Uh, uh, Ami Sako. Mm. So Saku is also another griot name. Oh, so she's also a griot. Like yes. you said, they intermarry. But they both happen to be very accomplished performers, She's and they marry.
0: Beautiful, amazing oh. voice, and I remember you were asking. Her, by the way, Heather was conducting the interview in three languages. <laughs> you know, for those of you who don't know, Heather speaks multiple languages, including. Bambara. Bambara, and she was speaking to to them in Bambara. I like the way you were like going back and forth in you know speaking English and then getting questions in French and then <laughs> getting in some Bambara if they were not able to understand. <laughs> it was just beautiful to yeah. watch, you know. Thank you. And also listen to uh, to our, our listeners. You play one of the instruments. You play the chorus. Yes, I do. Correct?
2: No, actually, you, actually, mm. I see. Here is the thing: the yeah. chorus griot. I don't play a griot instrument. I play an instrument called the kamelengoni, which is not a griot instrument, and it doesn't sound like. The chorus, Even mm. though it looks like it because it's a big gourd with a neck and, uh, you know, a bridge with uh, chords that looks like a harp, right. but it only plays five notes and it's a different repertoire and it's not related to the same report Listen, I would Facebook. encourage
0: all listeners to check out Heather online at uh, M T I A Africa. Will. Music uh, I'm talking about your your Instagram because I want them to see the you in action Thank play some you. Of this stuff. Okay, so Instagram On your list I think your Facebook page is
2: Music Time in Africa Instagram has just now been changed right. to Music Time Africa. Correct, that, which, which is why I was looking for it every day. Yes, yesterday and I could not <laughs> sorry, <find it. laughs> I changed name. And also YouTube. I do a lot of the video okay. on on YouTube, which is also. And Music then, Time so you,
0: you'll be able to see uh, Heather play the kamalangoni, yes. which is a beautiful instrument, also beautiful sound. Mm-hmm. But uh, Heather, again, you know, you were just, you know, uh, just watching you interact with these these people. Um, how did you learn Bambara? Just to give our listeners your background in music and and the region, this is not something that you just came into, like you actually studied this stuff.
2: Yes, that's right. So um, I lived in Mali first as a Peace Corps volunteer, and I lived in a village where they did not speak English at all and not really that much French. And I, I love languages anyway, so I dug into it and learned. How to Speak Bambara, mm-hmm. um, through some formal instruction. There were, there are some books. And then also I actually learned how to sing and play instruments. And s- learning folk songs helped a lot um, with that. But then I went on to continue doing a master's degree and a Ph.D., on African music, but specifically on music from Mali. So mm. those experiences brought me back for a year of research here and there. So over the years, I've been to and Mali. And then you took
0: over one of the biggest franchises here, All this music franchises on The Voice of America, Music Time in Africa, which has been on air for over 60 years now. Mm-hmm. And you are the host of it. Uh, so let's go back to the to yesterday yeah. with uh, Base Kukuyate. Mm-hmm. Um what did he say he's up to? I mean, I have not seen a project from Bassekou Kukuyate since, like, I guess, 2019. Mm-hmm. Was that 2019? Yes, that was when
2: he released the last album. The last album? Yeah.
0: What has he been up to? What is he working on?
2: Well, we found out yesterday he has been doing two major things. One is he has started his own music festival, an annual music oh, festival wow. in Mali. And it's been going on two years. In fact, Jackson, in two weeks from now, they're going to finish this tour up quickly, go back, host and do the festival for the third year, and then they have to come back to the U.S. to finish the tour. Wow. So that's a big... That's a busy year for him. So that, and then as well, he is founding a music school.
0: A pass on the knowledge.
2: Yes, in his hometown. Wow. He lives in the capital city, mm. but he's going back to his hometown, which is and a funding small a music school and over funding there. music school right there.
0: And just keeping on the legacy of the Cuyates yes. and, and keeping keeping that alive. Um, did he say he's working on any new in a new music?
2: He didn't say. Although I must say that I wrote a song a few years back and asked him to play Kavaling uh, the ngoni on it, mm-hmm. which he did. And the song is beautiful. It's on Spotify. You can listen to it. It's called Mango Tree. I, heather maxwell he plays the you can hear the ngoni but we never made a good music video for it i made one wasn't that good and so i didn't publish it well, he's here now what we're talking about that so that is going to be it's not going to be new music but we are going to do a music video i'm not sure when but within the ladies next and year.
0: gentlemen we just learned something new right here <laughs> <did>. on Upfront. <laughs> breaking news people yeah. heather thank you so much so how would people listen to this and find uh the show and the interview with base yes,
2: uh, it will be shortly on my YouTube channel. The full interview and the full, I think it was probably, they performed three songs, so it's probably about 20-minute long performance um, on YouTube, Music Time in Africa. And when you're on there, make sure you subscribe to and say hello. Absolutely. Uh, also, we'll be putting segments song by song up on various social media platforms, as well as the VOA Africa website.
0: And remember to follow and subscribe to all those social media platforms. Music Time in Africa, that is on Instagram, uh, on you, on Facebook, where you're over a million strong followers on there and on YouTube, where you can find videos and previous episodes. Heather does these interviews, exclusive interviews with amazing artists from around the world that you probably wouldn't find anywhere else. And we are so lucky to have her here in the studio. Heather, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, Jackson.
0: That was Heather Maxwell. She is the host of VOS music program, Music Time in Africa. And with that, we come to the end of our show today. Many thanks to my guests and to all of you for tuning in, whether you tuned in on radio or via our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are at Facebook. We are also on Instagram at VOA Upfront. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.
3: Hello, Africa. This is James Barty, host of Daybreak Africa, inviting you to join me every weekday morning at 3, 4, 5, and 6 hours UTC as we bring you the latest in African news, features, and sports. You can also be a part of Daybreak Africa through our listener mail segment by sending your comments and opinions to daybreakafrica at voanews.com. You can also call us and leave us a voicemail at 202-205-9942. That's 202-205-9942. And when you hear the Voice of America identification, press the number 25 to leave us your message. Start your day with Daybreak Africa every weekday morning at 3, 4, 5, and 6 hours UTC on the Voice of America. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Malaria kills thousands of people each year,
2: but there are some simple things you can do to protect your family. If you can, put screens in your windows. A simple screen can keep
3: disease-carrying mosquitoes out of your home. If you go outside, wear light-colored
2: clothing and long pants and long sleeves, especially when it is dark and mosquitoes are most active. After it rains, empty all
3: containers of standing water. The water in just one discarded tire can become a breeding ground for thousands of mosquitoes. Make sure your home is clear of debris and anything that holds water including discarded
2: cans, water containers and rubbish. Empty containers that livestock drink from regularly so that mosquitoes cannot breed there.